This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the best of the Women's Australian Rules Football podcast for 2020 so far. Right here on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival via rsn.net.au and also by the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app and also at warfradio.com or you can Google Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Now, our 200th episode, which was promised for this week, will be delayed to next week. We thought we'd take the opportunity to look back at the 25 episodes that we've recorded so far in 2020. And as you can probably hear, my voice isn't up to its usual standard. So it's a good opportunity for us to dig into the files and give you a little bit of a snippet of the interviews that we've had so far in 2020. Coming up in this special Best Of podcast, we're going to be taking a look back at new beginnings, retirees, international footballers and the coaches. We begin this special Best Of podcast by taking a look back at new beginnings. We begin with Kate McCarthy, who we interviewed for Episode 5 back on the 5th of February 2020. Kate had just made the move down to Melbourne mid-last year. After playing three seasons with the Brisbane Lions and the AFLW, she signed a contract with St Kilda to play for their inaugural AFLW team. She also played with their VFLW affiliate, the Southern Saints, in the latter half of the 2019 VFLW season. We pick up the conversation asking Kate why the move down to the world's most livable city. From as early as 2018, there was whispers and speculations that you might be looking at making a move down to the world's most livable city. Uh, At what stage did you finally make that decision? And what triggered it to say, I want to come down to Victoria? Um, I actually had no real... I was really happy at the Lions and I wasn't really looking at going anywhere else, to be honest. Um, And I, I think... I don't know. I, I got a call from St Kilda when I was in the re-signing period last year. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I was really happy at the Lions and I wasn't really looking to go anywhere else. And St Kilda kind of approached me with a bit of an offer that was I couldn't really refuse really at the time compared to what was going on at Brisbane. And I thought that I'd sort of lived in Brisbane my whole life. Um, and, I mean, I'd always thought that I might move somewhere else, whether it was for work or for other aspects of life and yeah I really saw it as a, a really good opportunity to grow as a person and to get away from home and they offered me a job in in a department where I'm really looking to develop in that side of things with the media and I mean for me post football like football's obviously hardly even paying the bills at stage so for us we need we need stuff outside of football as well so it wasn't purely a football-based decision it was a decision to help set me up for, for the rest of my life and, and a post-football career as well. And, yeah, it seemed like a really great club and I was really excited at, at the opportunity at starting somewhere new and being able to, I guess, help to form a new culture at a brand-new club, which is something that's really unique. I mean, not many people get the opportunity to play football at a club and then go to a new club, which they can help develop and, and really have a hand in deciding what they want the club to look like. So that was something that was super appealing to me as well. We'll come back to the on-field matters in just a moment, but let's talk about off-field and your media work because you had done media work previously up in Queensland with Southern Cross Osterio. Uh, yeah, so I'm still sort of doing a little bit of that. I think I'll be commentating a little bit on the women's games as well for them on the boundary. Um, and I guess... Up in Brisbane, you get one game of football every two weeks, whereas in Melbourne, you get multiple games every weekend. So um, there's a lot more opportunity down here for that, uh, whether it's commentary or other football shows and things like that. So I guess that really presented another huge opportunity as well. Let's talk about your role in the media department. We've already seen you do a bit of uh, on-camera work and one or two articles. Can you give us a bit of a uh, a day-to-day insight of a typical week of Kate McCarthy in the media department at St Kilda? Yeah, so obviously um, I know a lot of the the girls very well. So I do a lot of the women's pieces for the website um, and everything like that. And just at the moment recording um, a new podcast that we're going to be launching soon, um, which is not just a football podcast, but we're interviewing a lot of, I guess, high-profile women that are owning it in their space. So whether they're politicians, musicians, um, other sports um, athletes as well. So we're launching that 
soon as well. So that's, that's really exciting. And then, yeah, obviously writing a few articles and getting things ready for, for the website and for other various aspects of social media. So that's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none at the moment, but just learning as much as I can um, to help set me up for, yeah, post-football. As you mentioned, you're doing boundary writing. There's actually very few uh, uh, women play-by-play callers. We think, of course, of Kelly Underwood at uh, the ABC, Joe Watton with Croc Media, our own Lucy Watkin. Will you make the step up one day to taking on play-by-play commentary? Yeah, I'd love to. It's definitely something that I'd love to get into. So if the opportunity arose, then, yeah, I definitely wouldn't say no to doing that um, at the moment, just sort of working my way through. I did a little bit of special comments last year, which I really enjoyed, um, to be able to analyse that side of the game. And I did that alongside Simon Black, so he's probably one of the best in the business at that. And being able to hear and learn from experience is, yeah, really exciting. So, yeah, definitely wouldn't say no to having a go at play-by-play. I don't know how good I'd be, but I'd definitely give it a a crack. Continuing our theme of new beginnings, we caught up with Aileen Yoon, who originally played with the Sacramento Suns in the USAFL, helped begin the women's program at the Los Angeles Dragons in 2017, and this year in 2020 was helping begin the women's program for the Orange County Giants, formerly known as the Orange County Bombers. We asked Aileen what was it like trying to recruit for a new women's program in Southern California, and then trying to continue that recruitment through the coronavirus situation what was the reach out like to and and is there in orange county uh clubs to lean on to try and get players from and i talk like gaelic football rugby for example and we've even heard for example in portland then in texas them trying to recruit players out of roller derby yeah um that that's always been the intention uh we had when i was with the dragons we had linked up with the, the local uh, Gaelic football team um, and tried to get some of them interested. Uh, I think the hesitation there was because L.A. was so far, Orange County didn't have a team and things like that. Um, so maybe if, you know, knowing that this team would be closer to them, they would show some interest. Um, so that was one thing. Um, before I actually set anything in motion, um, there were a few uh, – original Dragons players um, who didn't play with us in 2018 and 2019, you know, due to other reasons. Um, but they were actually interested in coming over to the Giants um, because of location. They were closer to OC and um, and they had only gone to play with the Dragons because um, they were the closest thing. And um, these women had known about the sport already. One is an Aussie. She's from Melbourne. Um and uh, the other had studied abroad in, in Melbourne and uh, picked up the sport, brought it back, um, taught her partner about it. And so um, luckily they're very interested and, and on board. And um, I've also had great support from the OC Giants board members. They've been pushing and um, trying to spread the word about the women's team. Um, and we had actually gotten an inquiry from um, a woman who – um, I believe she's from uh, Queensland and played out there and um, had re- had just recently moved to Orange County and was, was keen to, to play with us. And unfortunately, we didn't have any trainings at the time. Um, and so we had planned our first training um, and they were all going to come out and then coronavirus hit. So unfortunately, we weren't able to get together, but we have a, a, a small team already forming. Let's talk about post-coronavirus now. How hard is it to try and keep that communication, like you said, with those that have already reached out to you, keep regular communication with them and keep them interested in wanting to play the game? Because in one way, yes, we're all at home bored, but in another way, we can be so easily di- distracted by other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the board has been trying to keep the team connected, um, you know, so that we can... Uh, keep everyone, you know, top of mind with footy and and things like that. So um, we had already set up like Zoom happy hours and uh, and Zoom workouts um, and things like that. So um, that's one thing that we're trying to stay in touch, um, trying to do to stay in touch. And um, I definitely am trying to do some things that are women's focused, but also trying to be, uh, I definitely want to, you know, lean on utilizing um, the club overall and um, 
integrating the women into the the overall club. I think um, the approach that I took last time was to, you know, keep things separate for a bit and then eventually integrate the women into the organization. Um, and that was tough. Um, it was definitely hard to do, you know, after waiting a bit and, and you could tell there was a, a there was a bit of a, um, a divide, like just like, un, like it's a, a natural divide in terms of like, um, you know, they didn't, some of the women didn't feel fully integrated into the club and things like that. So we're trying to do things as a, as a, an overall club. Um, so that new women who are coming into this can see that, you know, we're all one team, men, women, uh, and we're trying to um, build this camaraderie within each other. That snippet of an interview with Aileen Yoon was taken from episode 14 this year, which aired on the 8th of April. From episode 9, which aired on the 4th of March, we caught up with Joanne Muradin, a Canadian who's living in France and helping organise the Western European Australian Football Women's League, or WEWL for short, a three-team competition with the Paris Cockerels, the Amsterdam Devils and the Rhineland Lions. Here's our interview with Joanne. So let's talk about the WEWL, because we know that there are uh, women's leagues in Europe. Obviously, running around for a number of years has been the AFL London Women's yeah. League, which has been massive. They start yeah. up a league now around yeah. Scotland. We've had the National Universities yeah. League. Uh, AFL Island Women's have their various leagues of seven aside. We've seen this uh, last year, pardon me, the start-up of the AFL Germany Women's Competition. So what led to the, yeah. the, the chat behind the Western European Australian Football Women's League to get up and running? Yeah, well, I mean, that, the credit really goes to Lisa Wilson, who um, is a well, she's she's played in both both leagues in the in the London League, and then also now she's she's living in Germany. But I think it was really like she was really the initiator of the whole um, idea, and she just approached us and said, "Look, I want to create a league where we have more opportunities to play." It's exactly the same reason for the Gallia, just giving us opportunities to play. There's not enough women to to create a competition in our countries, so we have to combine and and create these sort of leagues. And, um, yeah, I mean, she, she had the idea. She, you know, talked to us about it. We're like, that's awesome. Go for it. And then, um, and now it's happening. And our very first round is on Saturday. Um, and there's three, there's three teams in this league. So Paris, Cologne and Amsterdam. And yeah, we've got all full teams and we're super excited. There's going to be three rounds this year. So this, the Gallia is the very first round, then we'll have another round in May, another one in June, and uh, most likely a finals after that. So, yeah. Can you tell That's us? It, yeah. Can you tell us just to give us an idea on the map, particularly for those that may have not have been across to Europe, what the travel is like <laughs> to be able to get from Paris to Amsterdam and Cologne to oh, be able to get your yeah. games in? Oh God. Okay. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I believe Cologne is about five hours away and Amsterdam is four hours away. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, we, uh, you know, it, it, Europe is small. It's not like Australia. <laughs> um, so it's actually not that bad. You can do it in a day. The Cologne girls are coming down Saturday morning and leaving Saturday night. So, um, even for financial reasons, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to do that. You know, team building, we love to be able to spend the weekend and, and do an act, do, you know, spend the weekend as a team together. But, um, we also have the option. It can just be done in a day. So it's, it's, and this is part of the reason why we stuck with this sort of small, these three teams to start off with because of location and just making it accessible for everyone. Uh, there's, there's potential for it to grow, of course, but I think we just, this year we keep it, uh, you know, step by step, make sure we're solid in this in this and then and then uh yeah i mean the idea is just to keep going the the sport so um we'll just keep doing that we'll have more of the best of the women's australian rules football podcast for 2020 so far right after this been playing for a while sweet kicks because footy makes you smile sweet kicks football if you're getting ready for the trials, gotta go the extra mile. Sweet.
kicks football. Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. You're listening to the best of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for 2020 so far, right here on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Now time to catch up with some of the coaches that we've interviewed so far in 2020. We begin with Craig Starsevich. Now, Craig is one of two coaches still remaining from the inaugural AFLW season course himself at the Brisbane Lions and mixed in here at Melbourne. We asked Craig about the 2019 season which after grand final appearances in 2017 and 2018 was a big drop for the side and then rebuilding things as they were looking very bullish heading into the 2020 AFLW season. The 2019 season was a tough year. It's when the conferences came in. Uh, it could have easily been uh, a four-win season. It ended up being just a, a two-win season. But from a coaching perspective, do you find out more about a side when you're actually having that losing year? You get to see not only who's trying hard when the game's not going your way, but obviously the the off-field um, the off-field personality of players and how they react at training and during the off-season, etc. When things aren't quite going to plan. Yeah, you do find out a bit about people when you're going through those periods, no doubt. Um, and so we're, we're still in the hunt. As strange as it was on the last day, um, playing against Collingwood in the last quarter, we were still uh, a chance to uh, make the conference be top two at that point. So um didn't quite work out and um, we didn't take our opportunities in that game to, to be able to make the most of that. But uh, it gave us a great opportunity to, to debut a lot more people, which we didn't get the chance to do in the first two years on the back of being um, reasonably successful. So... Um, it did give us a chance to debut uh, six or seven players and have a look at them. Uh, most of those are still on our list now and um, are going to play vital roles this year and in coming years. So coming into uh, the 2020 season, a-, a turnover of at least 13 players, uh, majority of them to the Gold Coast, including one of your assistant coaches, David Lake, ha- has gone over there as well. So when you have to turn over almost half the side, what is the philosophy with the core players you've got left? Are you trying to build a game plan around them and add players from the draft? Or is it a case of you go into the draft, you pick up the best players you can, and once you've got all your pieces, then try and build the plan from there? Yeah, well, every year we've had to turn over. Um, you know, we've drafted nine or ten most years. Um, so the turnover's sort of been a fairly consistent thing. Um, we've, we've had a look at who's... You know, which clubs have retained their original players. We've got eight, um, and I think the most is 10. So that's uh, either Adelaide or Melbourne. I can't remember which one, but there's not great range there for the foundation clubs in terms of retaining players from 2017. So we've all had to turn them over. Um, we've copped it you know, probably worse than most, but not by too much. So we're used to that environment of you know, providing new opportunities. The thing that's probably going to happen now um, with two-year contracts and no new clubs on the horizon for hopefully the next couple of years is we're hoping that there'll be that little bit of stability now that you know you, you've got um, players on your list that you can persevere with for you know a couple of seasons and and start to um, solidify your game plan and, and those sorts of things and, and a game style and start to get some real growth and improvement in players uh, that you draft you want to keep them for longer than just the one year so um, unique circumstances now um, to this competition at least that we can hang on to our players a little bit longer that interview with Craig was taken from episode 2 which aired on the 15th of January 2020 
We also had the opportunity to catch up with the reigning VFLW Premiership coach and now coach of Weemstown in the VFLW, Penny Kula-Reed. This was taken back from episode 21, which aired on the 27th of May. And we asked how difficult was it to coach when the coronavirus was happening and there was no timeline for a return of the VFLW. As we now know, the VFLW season has been cancelled and there'll be a four-team exhibition series in September. But back in May, the clubs knew of no plans at all from AFL Victoria. So how difficult was it to try and coach when you don't know what you're coaching for? Well, let's talk about the date where we're at now. As we record this, this is around an airing on the 27th of May uh, 2020. Uh, we would have, in a normal circumstance, just pa- passed round three. In fact, uh, we would have just covered the um, Weemstown versus Southern Saints Saturday night game that was meant to be played at Port Jellybrand at, at uh, 6pm on a Saturday night. We are actually looking forward to that. But, of course, as we know, the season is, is all in pause. How difficult is it for you as a coaching team at the moment to... Um, with all the players spread out to to coach the players, keep them focused, etc. Particularly a lot of coaches, they're goal-orientated. You normally have got a timeline to things of where you want players to be at and where they're progressing, both from a skills perspective and also obviously from a fitness perspective. How do you coach around no goals, no timeline? Well, that's exactly right, Peter. Like, I'm a planner. Um, I love to have things planned. And as soon as, you know, when coronavirus hit, you plan something and then, you know, the goalposts change. So for me, um, it's actually been quite nice sitting back and just letting things and being in the moment. Um, And the hardest thing for me was putting too much pressure on these girls to continue their programs with the unknown of what the outcomes could be. So we've set the girls up with programs and, and, you know, some skills and stuff, but we haven't really pressured them into doing anything only because we don't know, Um, you know, my my thought process is we're professional and if they want to be ready for a season come four weeks' time, then, you know, let's hope they've done the work. And if they haven't, well, they're going to have a really hard four-week program that they're going to have to get themselves into. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to baby them. They are all adults and they all can, if they want to succeed, they need to bring their own sort of um, development to, to the group. So for me, it, I've just actually sat back. Um, I've actually really enjoyed spending some time on myself, um, going into a new club that was all go, 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 working from 6am to 10pm pretty much every single day. So, um, you know, I've actually taken the time to sit back and reflect on how I can do things better, Um, you know, maybe some processes and some um, spreadsheets that can be looked at differently. How can we then do review process differently? You know, getting our priorities right in terms of what's more important for us um, and just really just taking a step back because I think I was going to burn out before the start of the season. So um, I've actually really enjoyed it, to be honest. There's a few difficult things around at the moment with uh, with everything paused because of the coronavirus. You talked about then having some spots on the list for AFLW talent that get delisted. At the moment, as, as we, much as we know that some clubs have already got in their head which clubs they which players they wanted to list they can't officially announce anything yet because nothing's been uh, agreed to yet with the trade period when the draft will be held etc everything like that's up in the air plus at the same time if we look at the other end of the list the nab league girls competition paused after only one or two rounds and normally around this time of year would roughly be about the youth girls championships and you'd start to be fed some under 18s players from the western jets to come into your side how do you balance that going forward in not being able to plan of who can we go after for AFLW and who we can go after for NAB League girls? Yeah, again, it's it's an unknown situation. And, you know, as soon as you start making plans, it, it, it changes. So until we get confirmation or any word from the AFL, we sort of just, you know, taking a step back and let, you know, ride in the wave like everybody else is. And, you know, it's keeping in touch with the girls and, and working on things that are outside of football to really gel and bond more as a group rather than having it all about football. Now we actually have to talk to each other um, not about football. So that's actually brought something a little bit different to our group in terms of going out of our, not going out of your way, but when you're in a situation, you're in a room, you tend to want to talk to someone. But now that we're not in the room, how do we then continue to build that connection with, with the group? So I guess until the AFL make any more sort of decisions, we're sort of just sitting here in limbo like everybody else. 
Talk about sitting in limbo. In fact, the Williamstown Football Club put on their Facebook page a couple of days ago what the current situation with the VFLW is. Um, everyone's been hanging out news for it, uh, including that article, which normally the Williamstown Football Club has maybe anywhere between two to a dozen shares of a Facebook post. That post has had 107 shares because I think everyone is so desperate for news on, on where the VFLW is at. And unfortunately, there's just no news to report, just hurdles that have to be crossed. Um, have, you, have you come, to, I guess, to an idea in your head that, let's say, the worst happens? Let's say that they said the VFLW cannot go ahead, 2020 is a write-off. Have you considered what you're going to do over the next few months or so until, I guess, pre-season, November, December for 2021? Yeah, I mean, we had a, um, a staff meeting last night and just spoke about a couple of scenarios that, you know, could come up. Um, once the decision is made, uh, regardless of what happens, we, we have decided about a couple of things and not that we're, we've planned, but we've come up with a few scenarios that we might be looking at. And once we sort of get a decision, um, then we can start looking at those different scenarios. But, you know, it, we may have a pre-season in November or we may have a pre-season in January where they push everything back and, you know, everything's a bit unknown at the moment. And, you know, I think some of the girls are getting quite anxious um, in terms of not having anything to focus on. So um, for me, it's really just about, you know, can we find some answers for them or how do we then sort of decrease that anxiety for, for the players and, and the group? And I know um, they're also not just our VFL crew, but there's, you know, every other VFL club is in the same boat as well. One of our most downloaded podcasts for 2020 was episode 23, which we uploaded on the 10th of June and was recorded with Scott Gowans, former North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos AFLW coach. After two seasons, he had an 11-3 and record. And prior to coronavirus hitting, it looked like his Kangaroos were going to meet the Dockers in the AFLW Grand Final. If things kept tracking as they should. And then coronavirus hit, the season stopped, and then a couple of months later... Cost-cutting at the Kangaroos saw a very successful coach shown the door. In our very extensive chat with Scott, we asked him how he felt reading the online reaction that people were shocked that such a great person was let go by the Kangaroos. I just want to talk about reaction from inside and then outside the club. First of all, for inside, no doubt you would have had either text messages or phone calls with your players since the announcement was made. Um, many players would have gone through completely different circumstances. Some were just new under your tutelage. Some have been around and seen many coaches, and for them it's, ah, oh, well, we've got to continue on. And, and for some others, like we mentioned before with Ash Riddell and Sophie Epinzangelo, followed you all the way from the Creekers up until present day, which must be harder for them. What are the yeah. conversations been like? Because, again, as we mentioned at the top, it's not like when Tom Hunter went when... A coach is at the bottom of the ladder and he goes, everyone's kind of, they don't want it to happen, but they kind of expect it to happen, where this, as we said, just came out of the blue. Yeah, so she's actually texting me as we're talking. <laughs> so, um, Sophie is very passionate and she's very loyal. So she, um, along with Kate Gillespie-Jones and all these other players that I'm very close with, Jess Trans, if you do form relationships with these people, um, and the thing, the thing with it is, Asher Dell's the same, and it's it's all about it's all about having that loyalty to, to someone, um, having loyalty to the club, but doing what's right for your career. And I, I, I've been overwhelmed by the support I've had within the playing group and the staff at North Melbourne, and even in the hierarchy that made the decision, I've felt absolutely supported. So. Absolutely no problem with that at all. But someone like Sophie Abitango, she's only ever had me as a coach. And um, what a great opportunity for a young woman to be coached by Darren Crocker, who is a coaching legend and a hell of a nice guy. And as I said to, to these guys, you, you need to look at it like I've put, I've put a piece of the cake in and you know, take what I've taught and apply it. You're going, to get, you're going to get Darren Crocker. I don't think they realise his credentials. You know, he's going to come in with another piece of the cake and you're going to be in such a better position as an elite footballer because you're going to get another voice right at the time when you're in a premiership window. Through circumstances, and ideally I'd be there, but circumstances dictate 
And if it has to be anyone, let it be Darren Crocker. I mean, I relied on him a lot um, while I was at the club and he helped me out with some stoppage stuff and he just makes the difficult look simple and the girls um, the girls will love him. So, yeah, I, um, I think Sophie and Ash and Kate and, and all the others, they, yep, they're, they're definitely showing you support and everything like that, which is really nice. But it's, um, it's a matter of while you're in this game, you're only in the game a short time and it's an elite sport. So take the opportunity to, to hear a different voice and see where it takes you. And finally, the reaction from outside, which no doubt you probably would have cast an eye over social media at some stage. And obviously you've spoken on SEN and other radio stations and, uh, and The Age as well. Um, the feedback, of course, we know uh, your offsider from Vic Metro days, Wayne Siegman, uh, gave his opinion, not too happy about it. Beck Goddard, who had to leave Adelaide, she also gave who, her two cents worth. I've thrown in my bob's worth as well. But the theme comes out of it two ways, not just the bagging of North over what happened, but everyone unanimously is saying, oh, geez, what a nice bloke Scotty Gowans is. How could this happen to such a great bloke? How do you feel when you're getting that? It's a bit of pill that you're now without a gig, but everyone's just praising on, geez, not only is he a good coach, he's a ripping bloke. Well, I suppose it's better than them all saying he's a, he's a bit of a bugger and he, uh, he can't coach. <laughs> but look, it has been nice. And I, I, have, um, I have run my eye of it because my wife, Jodie, kind of made me, to be honest. Um, it's just part of the process, which on reflection was probably good. And I did that a couple of days ago, and I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I've been super lucky, and the only reason I've been lucky is because of the wonderful women in the game. And, um, yeah, it's it's an honour. And I, I honestly believe that you – I think I said it in one of the interviews, my mum's saying, which was, um, if you can't see the sunshine, be the sunshine. And she said that to me quite often, and I reflected on that. My mum passed away a couple of years ago, and I've, I've got that on my desk. And, you know, I, I love coaching. I'd, I'd move into state to do a role. I, I'm passionate. I, you know, I'm driven with it. Um, and I, I think I've got something to offer a playing group. But the, the support just backs that up a little bit. Like it backs up and gives you a sense of belief at a time when you, um, you know, you you do, you sit down in the chair and you go, what the hell, that just happened? And um, Yeah, so I've been buoyed by that and people you don't know and probably never will, but it's just those little comments and you've got to be careful, of course, because social media can definitely go the other way. Um, but yeah, I've been buoyed and I really appreciate everything, to be honest, I've felt completely supported. Still to come on the best of the Women's Australian Rules football podcast for 2020 so far, we catch up with a couple of retirees and a couple of Irish recruits. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to the best of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for 2020 so far. Right here on RSN Carnival, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company. Now time to focus on a couple of retirees. On our 13th episode, which was uploaded on the 1st of April 2020, we caught up with Emma Grant of the Collingwood Magpies. Emma Grant had played three seasons, 2017, 2018, 2019, was signed on to play through 2020. However, in a practice match, she would suffer a pretty bad concussion. She would not return to the football field. Coronavirus would cut the season short and she would make the decision then to retire from playing Australian rules football and instead now focus on coaching, which at the moment she is now coach of the Victoria Metro under-18 girls' side. Should obviously there be a carnival for this year, or no doubt when we return in 2021. We asked Emma at the time how it felt trying to make that decision in her mind that it's time to hang up the boots for her health and safety. Let's talk about the decision leading up to the retirement before the COVID-19 situation hit. Collingwood were, were bobbing back and forth with Carlton for that third spot in, in the conference to try and qualify for finals. It was an, an exciting race. We got down to the business end of the season. I know I'm talking hypotheticals here, 
but there was there a consideration if the season was playing out properly of of at least coming back for for one more game. Oh, I would have I would have loved to, but sort of um, you know the medicos ruled that out. Um, you know, probably a few weeks ago now that there was just there was no way. Like obviously with the conditioning and and whatnot that you need at this level, um, you know, sure I could have started to run around and kick a footy, but you know the conditioning that I would have lost um, in the past eight weeks, you know, would have gone out there and probably done a hamstring, mate. So um, as much as I would have loved to, you know, played one more game and you know really gone out on my own terms, um, there was there was no way that I was I was going to get up again this season. Can you talk about that? decision how long was it stewing in your mind for and and ultimately what made you I guess come to ease with the decision of it's time to hang up the boots yeah I guess you know I'm you know 30 turning 31 so I know that you're still you know, young you're still I'm young. on the wrong side of 30 but yeah I'm, I'm still young enough but um I guess just with this concussion it just it just opened my eyes to you know the big picture and that I guess, you know, if you'd ask, you know, we're talking this time last year, you know, footy, footy's everything, footy's life. I'd do everything for footy. But um, once your health compromise and you realise that, um, you know, your brain's a pretty important organ of your body and um, there's bigger things out there, your health's number one, that I, I soon, you know, sort of thought that if I put myself in that position again and, and you know, was to suffer another concussion and feel the way I, the, the way I have for the last two months, like there's just, I just, don't want to put myself in that position. The only way for me not to put myself in that position is is not to play football. So, um, you know, initially, you know, I, when you know people talk about, it, I didn't want to talk about it, and you know, but in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, you know, I think I reckon this is it because there's just no way I want to feel like this. Um, you know, there was scary moments. I didn't know if I was ever going to be better. I didn't know if or when or how it was ever going to be back to my normal self, and that was really really scary and something that I never ever want to want to feel again so you know I think there's you know there's different ways to be part of footy and that's that's the brilliant thing about the game is that you can you can have different roles um obviously not on field and and you know obviously I love that and I would love to continue to play but um where I'm at where I am and obviously my priorities have sort of shifted and I just don't think that um you know playing is probably the best thing for me right now how'd you break the news to the group yeah, so obviously with um, COVID sort of taking over and our season sort of um, ending abruptly, um, obviously the girls the girls lost um, at Vic Park and we oh, – sorry, not at Vic Park, but Icon Park and we weren't allowed to go there. We weren't allowed to be there with um, with all the restrictions. So um, sort of I, you know, obviously been thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, the season's done, the season's done, so we're, we're going to be having um, – exit meetings and exit medicals and, you know, they're sort of going to wrap up the season pretty quickly. We won't be having a presentation night or anything like that. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to get the girls together because we, we weren't allowed to. So obviously I had to do it over um, over our Facebook Messenger group. And, you know, I just obviously wanted to let them know first before I'd sort of let anyone else know. Obviously I let the powers at the club be, let them know. Obviously my family knew. And then obviously I posted out on social media. But, um, you know, that was supportive. They understood. They knew what I'd what I'd been through, they'd sort of ridden the way with me and were, yeah, super supportive. And, um, you know, the, the the messages and the calls and the, you know, responses I got once I posted on social media was, you know, I didn't, you know, sort of blew my mind. And, you know, hearing from, you know, boys that I played with at Gisborne in the under 12, you know, under 10s and, you know, girls that I played at Benigo Thunder and coaches and, you know, it was, it was lovely. And, you know, I think, um, you know, that, that little chapter of the book closes and, you know, the next one opens, so I'm excited for what the future holds. Is that, I guess, probably the most rotten part about the COVID-19 situation? It affects you, it affects the likes of Melissa Hickey with a long career, of course, retiring from Geelong, Lawrence Sierra, long career at Eastern Devils, of course, with the Pies now retiring from Richmond and uh, a number of others. Is that you haven't been able to either A, play one more game, B, if you couldn't play that game, at least have uh, be walked off and be given the round of applause by the team and C, uh, to quote Daniel Andrews, get on the beers with the team to, uh, I guess, uh, see off in style and uh, celebrate a, a career that was. Yeah, I think like I, th- I think that'll happen in due course. You know, I sort of heard from Jane Woodland Thompson, the GM of Collingwood Women's Sport. She said, you know, we'll, we'll don't worry, we'll we'll, we'll be um, celebrating your granny like your retirement when when we can. So, you know, I think I look forward to the you know having having a drink with the girls and 
sort of reminiscing on on the past four years. But you know, right now it's not a priority in anyone's lives, and that's fair enough. We, you know, we need to try and get through this and get through this safely without too many of our loved ones or um, you know, either Victorians or Australians, obviously dying. So right now it's a, it's a really low priority. But I do look forward to um, yeah, getting on the ciders and 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 enjoying one with the with the teammates. Another retiree that we caught up with was for episode 15, which was uploaded on the 15th of April 2020. Nicole Cullinan of the Western Bulldogs, nicknamed Mum by her teammates. The very youthful-looking Nicole is 37 years old. Yes, it's hard to believe. She's been around the game for more than a decade, playing a number of years, including winning a premiership at Melton Centrals in the lower divisions of the VWFL before finally crossing over and winning a number of flags with the Darabin Falcons. I think we had the count at seven premierships that she's won across the VWFL and AFLW. Of course, she was a member of the Western Bulldogs AFLW premiership winning side in 2018. Again, we asked Nicole about how it came to be making that decision that it was time to hang up the boots in a coronavirus cut short season. So this 2020 season just passed, as we know, was shortened due to the coronavirus. It didn't run the full eight rounds. It only ran six. They attempted to play a three-week final series, which ended after week one. No premier was awarded. Um, For yourself, when did the idea of retirement pop into your head? Was it early in the season or as things started to come to a close, did uh, the conclusion finally draw on your mind? Yeah, for me, I, I actually, it was towards the end of January, so the end of pre-season and, and it wasn't because, you know, the pre-season was too hard or anything. Um, it was literally, I sort of saw the talent of um, the young ones coming through and and sort of thought, you know, I, I want to sort of be in a different position. I don't, I don't want to play alongside them necessarily. I'd, I prefer to be there and guide them. And um, and just that, you know, driving to training was sort of, it was becoming more of or a little bit more tiring rather than oh, like I loved going and the buzz was, was sort of going um, where, you know, your priorities of life, I guess, is, do change and I think uh, for me it was sort of I wanted yeah I had other things that sort of were taking priority and and I guess so it was the end of January but I still wanted to play because I'd done all that hard work and you know I'd even given up VFL to make sure I'd got the body prepared and and ready and even stronger than I've had other years so I I was it was a a battle with my mind and you know it was a chat that I had with one of the coaches that you know I'm, I'm finding it a bit difficult at the moment. I'm feeling bad if I play and, and these young ones are, aren't playing. And, and he just looked at me and this was um, David Bartlett, our backline coach. And he looked at me and he said, Nick, you've worked hard all these years and you've done a pre-season just like these girls. And, and you know, they've, they've got to earn this spot and and don't just throw it away just yet. You know, enjoy the season and, and play like it's your last if you want. But play because you deserve to be here and and I guess you know for me I do sometimes put other people in front of me and then um, probably a bad habit so I, I need to sort of learn you know to to put me first and and you know sometimes you need some guidance and help and, and he helped me through that and we spoke to Berkey at the time as well and um, yeah so it was sort of uh, yeah it was sort of the start of the season I played a few games and then um, yeah, it was good to see other young ones play, but I did want to still keep playing. So it was good to finish off one more game against Fremantle in that last game. And, and I would have liked to play one more just to get my 25 games. But um, Berkey did feel bad about that. But I said, it's okay. You know, things have happened for a reason. And and I don't look at that. I look at my whole career and, and, and what I was lucky to achieve in that time. And, you know, the positives outweigh any... Uh, any negatives or anything that happened along the way. And, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful that I got to play at a, such a wonderful club and, and a club that was so inclusive and, and, and just the same as values as the Darabin. So um, I was very lucky with both uh, clubs and then back to Melton Central as well. So I owe it to all those clubs and, um, for, yeah, everything that I've achieved over my AFL career. 
that brings up uh, two quick points since you mentioned about the young ones at the Bulldogs. Um, it didn't kind of push you to retirement that they were calling you mum, which made you think, oh, geez, I'm not long in the tooth, am I? Um, and also, uh, is it is it hard to, like you said, when you played against Fremantle, finish on the note of an unfinished season due to this coronavirus situation that even though mathematically the Bulldogs were not going to make the finals, that you weren't able to have that final game in round eight to do the, the lap of honour or be clapped off by your teammates of that's it, it, here's the full stop on the AFLW career? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. You can look at it and go, oh, you know, I didn't get that last hurrah game or anything like that. But, you know, I you can focus on that or you can just focus on the things that, you know, I, I was a part of and, and what I am grateful for. And, um, you know... Sometimes you know you don't yeah want the attention of that. I, I know the people that you know um, supported me along my my journey and and my football journey and things like that. So for me, I was ready. Um, you know, one more extra game wasn't going to change my decision. Um, and I think you know you, yeah you look at the things that I did achieve and and that's what I focused on and. Um, I guess along the way, there's things that you don't get, you know, and, and you miss out on things like that. So, um, but for me, I, I'd still say it was such a, a wonderful career and I was lucky with what I did um, get to succeed in so many um, of my teams with, the, you know, the premierships and things like that. So, um, yeah, no hurrah game at the end, but um, I was lucky to still be a part of, playing AFLW, I was part of the inaugural year and, um, you know, many uh, people out there that haven't even got to to do that. So, um, yeah, I was one lucky person. So, yeah, I don't look at any of the other stuff. I look at what I have been able to um, be a part of. Before we quickly touch on um, off-field matters going forward post-career, um, as you mentioned, you've retired at AFLW level. What does this possibly mean for you, playing outside of AFLW, uh, you considering running around in the state league or at the grassroots leagues or even, yes, you actually qualify by age, even running around in, in the Masters rules? <laughs> I know. I've mentioned that I, I do uh, pass to the Masters, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, look, for, for the near future, I want to fo- focus on getting into the fire brigade. So with that... Um, Football is sort of going to have to be on the sort of the down low because I just don't want to get injured um, getting into that. So, you know, but if that doesn't happen, um, for sure I'll play at some level maybe. Um, but, yeah, for the near future, my decision is no footy until I uh, come to a comfortable stage of uh, a new career. Um, but coaching-wise or, you know, mentoring or staying involved in in the game for sure. I do want to do that. Um, I've done my level two coaching and I'm doing chicken coach program as well through the AFL Victoria. So that will lead me into doing level three if I want to as well. So um, definitely got, you know, preparing myself for coaching roles down the track. So we'll wait and see what happens with the landscape of everything with the coronavirus and everything. Um, you know, it's definitely going to be a bit different um, for the next, few years I'm sure um, but yeah I'd like to be able to give back in some way um, because yeah I'm not someone to sort of um, hide under a rock or anything I do want to um, give what my experience I've learnt over the years in football um, for the time being and then who knows playing again um, we'll see what my body w- w- wants to do um, come a couple of years down the track. <laughs> Some retirees and now some Irish recruits. Yes, 18 Irish women took part in the AFLW for 2020. One would not play due to a knee injury suffered in a pre-season game. Uh, there'd also be an American that would be playing in the AFLW. Danielle Marshall, of course, would play with the Western Bulldogs. But uh, all the news was about the Irish women coming over in such large numbers. One player that had been 
training away for ages and trying hard to get through, beginning with Diamond Creek in 2017, before going across to Melbourne University in 2018, was Clara Fitzpatrick. She made the decision in 2019 to go and join the Southern Saints in the VFLW, which eventually led to an AFLW contract with the St Kilda Football Club. We flash back to episode 22, which was uploaded on the 3rd of June, and we talked to Clara about that move across to the Southern Saints and also changing her role from being a ruck to a defender. As we've seen, you've played in the ruck at Diamond Creek, you've played in the ruck at Melbourne University, you've played in the ruck with the Irish Banshees, but... With the Southern Saints, the switch comes to you playing as a tall six-foot defender. Can you explain when the first conversation about that happened and getting used to switching to the defensive role? Yes. So, again, I because coming from a midfield, uh, midfield player in Gaelic football, uh, I just kind of naturally slotted into the ruck. Uh, there was kind of, I guess, less thinking behind that. You just kind of followed the ball, uh, which suited me well. Um, but as and then I went into Southern Saints and we had a couple of you know training away for a couple of months and Peter had kind of mentioned about possibly trying me in a defence role you know as a tall defender to see how we get on so we tried it a couple of times in training and kind of after that they were happy enough with how I was getting on and um, seemed seemed to think I was getting on pretty well there so they just kind of kept me there and yeah I've just been learning about it ever since because obviously the the rules are a bit different in terms of rock and defender so uh but yeah so that's kind of how it came around Peter just kind of mentioned one day put the thought in my mind and then we tried it out of training and then yeah off we went and yep the rest is history I guess it seems to be a success because uh, in the first year of your VFLW with the Southern Saints you finished in the top 10 of the club best and fairest uh, yes, yeah, that was pretty. Uh, that was a bit surprising now, but um, I guess it was probably a good move on their behalf. They, like say, they have the knowledge on where players should play or what player would be suited to a certain position, um, and they obviously they, they, they thought the defender role would be, um, I guess, more beneficial to the team and to myself. So yeah, they it's been it's been pretty amazing now, and um, they've worked with me and the defender coach as well. Has spent a lot of time just developing me, just get me clued into the game, what I need to know, structures, all the rest of it. So, it's, yeah, it's been pretty amazing. Well, one thing we actually commented on the uh, Southern Saints when we called them in the VFLW is you actually had a very tall back line. I mean, one of the other players we think of was Frankie Hocking. Uh, she was a centre-half forward when she played in Sydney. She was switched to the back line. Uh, you would have played against her when uh, she was playing for the GB Swans of the International Cup. Uh, for Frankie, uh, a bit unlucky not to get an AFLW contract because she did her ankle through the VFLW season. Yes, yes. Yeah, Frankie has been unbelievable. She had a really good start to the season. Uh, she just had that setback of the ankle, which really just, I guess, threw her off. You know, once you're kind of trying to get over an injury and trying to make a team, it's just not possible if you're not fully 100% ready to go. So thankfully, she's had the she's had the kind of season to get over it and rehab it right. And I'm I'm 100% sure she'll be back raring to go this year and um, back at it. I mean, her strength and her voice as well in the back line is unbelievable. You know, she'll to try and help you as much as you can, just like all the other backs and, and the rest of the team, obviously. You're there to try and support each other. You're there for the goal to try and get the best out of each member of the team uh, so the team can do the best they can. So Frankie was there. She's definitely a big miss as well whenever she's off the pitch. But um, no, she's, um, she'll hopefully be back, back in action this year. We get a bit of action going. And uh, hopefully as well in the VFLW, just another player quickly, we'll see Val Moreau as well, who did her knee prior to the VFLW season. Very unlucky. So uh, almost the foreign legion there at the Saints. Uh, Great Britain swan, a Canadian Northern Light and an Irish Banshee. Um, we should mention as well, um, uh, you and another tall got signed at the same time to the AFLW, yourself and Poppy Kelly uh, getting signed. Uh, what did it mean and yeah. how did they break the news to you that here it is, Here's your AFLW contract. So I was actually um, I was in Ireland um, between July and August for three three and a half weeks. Um, I had a bit of a, a competition over here that I was at, uh, and had a couple of family things on. So I was over in Ireland for yeah, I think I think it was probably four weeks actually. By the time you kind of lose days and gain days, um, and then by the time I got back, we had our last game we were heading into our last game uh, and I was thinking oh geez it's going to be a hard one to get even back on this team again and um, you know the, the standard's so high um, 
and everybody's been doing really well. I was like, listen, I'm just going to put my head down and train away and see how we go. Um, and we had our last game against Richmond. And after that, I think it was a Tuesday, we had a team meeting and they had announced it uh, just at the team meeting. Um, it was complete shock to me now. Uh, they, they kind of, um, they, they wanted me to get up and do a bit of an Irish jig for being away for so long as a bit of a punishment. Um, so I was kind of dragged up to the front uh, for a bit. Um, and then once I returned to the seat, then uh, Pete just started talking a wee bit. And then she had said then uh, basically you've been elevated to the AFLW team. So I think I was more in shock for the first couple of minutes. Um, and it was just an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. So, um, yeah, I think I'm still smiling just saying about it now. So. And you slotted in beautifully to the AFLW team, making your debut in the opening game against the Western Bulldogs at Moorabbin. What do you recall about walking out onto the ground for that first game, a lockout, mind you, at Moorabbin? Yeah, I remember, um, I guess it was a bit of a mixture between nerves and excitement. Um, it was a lot of our team's first time going out um, and playing an AFLW game. So a lot of us were in the same kind of boat. Uh, obviously, a couple of the players had played there before and were kind of, um, giving us a bit of advice or whatever just embrace embrace the day embrace the moment but uh, I guess probably within the first 10 or 15 minutes we were quite nervous but after that there we just um, kind of got up and got on with it and just had an amazing time it was unbelievable just the support there and the atmosphere and, and just being a home match as well it was just very hard uh, very hard feeling to beat now I must say Back for episode seven, which was uploaded on the 19th of February 2020, we caught up with Aileen Gilroy, an Irish woman playing with the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. If I recall correctly, finished, I believe, sixth in the uh, club best and fairest. She's recruited out of the Crosscoders program and had a cult following on bigfooty.com. In fact, uh, the sub-forum there at the Kangaroos got behind and sponsored her for the season, which was absolutely fantastic. We talked to Aileen about coming back from a knee injury that she suffered in Gaelic football to signing a semi-professional contract to play Aussie Rules. So you're coming back from your second ACL. You're worried if you're going to get back in finals time for Mayo. Around that time, the Crosscoders camp is happening in Ireland. And you're not part of that, but you get a phone call out of the blue from North Melbourne. How did that come about? Yeah, so um, it was just kind of... There was a fellow that used to work um, for North that he used to recruit the men actually back home. And um, he got on to Reese and was just like, oh, I think this girl could be good or whatever. And then he just got on to me. And Reese had like literally sent me a message over Facebook and was just like, oh, would you be interested in coming over? And then I just like sent one back saying, oh, I don't know about that. Then I'm just after doing my second ACL and I don't think I'd be ready for it. And if I'm going to come out, I want to be 100%. I don't want you to see me at 70% and think that I'm no good. So he was just like, oh, we know he'd like done all the background search on me. He knew I had done it twice. And he was like, listen, it doesn't matter anyways. Like preseason doesn't start until October. So between that, I was like, okay, this is this is good. Um, obviously, it was something that I always wanted to do. Like I suppose when you hear so many Irish girls going out and things like that, I was just like, I'd love to do that. Give it a go, see what happens. And then over the like few months, then Reese kept me in contact. So when I had to go up and get my checkup, up in uh, Sanctuary where I got the operation on um, my knee just to make sure that I'm hitting the right marks and stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of it. And then we just started off with that. And then after that, then we, I made my final decision then like in August and I signed the papers and everything like that. And then I uh, became a rule. Besides your physical fitness, it wasn't the easiest of decisions because if, if I believe if I'm correct uh, from reading the articles online, you were setting up a, a life in Wexford uh, with your boyfriend there and you were becoming a personal trainer. Yeah, that's right. So um, I moved down to Wexford last February it was and I just, because I had time to do it, um, like at home, it's like a four and a half hour drive from his house to my house. So I was just like, this is perfect time to like try and like see do I like Wexford and move down and see how we get on and then we just like so then I got set up and then I got the message off Reese so that definitely put a um a little twist on the story but um it was it was still it was fine um then I was working down there so I had to like end up leaving a full-time job and everything for this out here but uh, 
it was fine. I think like I don't make when I look back on it, I don't regret any decisions that I made. And uh, hopefully, when I go back after the season is over, that I still have a job to go back to. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, it was a little bit easier to make the move down to Melbourne because I believe your sister had already moved ahead of you. Yeah, she did. So her and her boyfriend came um, early last year. And so I suppose um, I was kind of like on that. So she was just like, just try to come over. You don't know what it's going to be like. I say you're going to really enjoy it. So I suppose that definitely made the decision a lot easier. And then with Maraid as well, like being in the same club and everything, it was always going to help me as well. Like, you know, like I was always surrounded by Irish people as well. So I wasn't that nervous about coming over here. Um, and then obviously we are living in a house here with all Irish girls as well. So there's actually a girl that plays with Carlton and there's a girl that plays with the Bulldogs out here as well. And we're all living in the one house. Of course, you're speaking of Joanne Doonan and uh, Ashling McCarthy as well. Um, and we should mention some of your Mayo uh, teammates moving out there. We know, of course, Sarah Rowe at Collingwood. And we should point out uh, Grace and Neve Kelly over at the West Coast Eagles on the other side of the country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, Mayo is definitely taking a hit in the football situations with the four of us out here at the minute. But... Uh, like, at the same time, you still can't turn down this opportunity. Like, it's an amazing opportunity. And Sarah, like, playing with Collingwood as well. So she's not even that far from here. So even if I want to meet up with her as well, um, it's it's optional. It's great. Like, and the Kellys, the two Kelly sisters was down here for a friendly game. And uh, we met them after the match and everything as well. So that was really, really nice. Prior to coming down to Melbourne, how crucial was it to get some game time uh, in the AFL Ireland women's competition? Albeit they don't play 16 aside, they play a lot smaller competition, even as low as 7 aside. But how important was it to get a little bit of game time with the oval-shaped ball? Oh, yeah, like it was really, really important. Just just to try and get my head around it. Obviously, I had never, ever like kicked or tried to bounce like, uh, the footy. So I was like, oh, I need like a little bit of an insight in this. And uh, Michael was there in Ireland and he was there talking to me or whatever. And he's like, oh, we have like a little like games on or whatever. He's like, you should definitely come up. And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. So I drove from Westford up to Dublin then that day or whatever. And we were playing games. So that was really, really nice. And um, that was just, it was giving me an insight and even like some of the rules and stuff like that. So he was kind of talking towards me uh, during the game and everything like that to try and give me a better idea just of some of the rules and stuff like that. So with that, like Matt, Michael has been fantastic in that kind of sense to make sure that I was getting some time in before I came down on there. And that concludes the best of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for 2020 so far. Again, 25 unique episodes have been uploaded and 199 overall unique episodes are available via our respective podcast channels. And hopefully next week we'll have episode 200 for you. Obviously, I'm just hoping that my voice comes back so it sounds a lot more professional than you may have uh, heard over the last hour. And also, obviously, we're trying to get some special guests lined up. So fingers crossed, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time right here on RSN Carnival. And wherever you listen to your podcasts, you'll be able to hear our 200th episode. Thank you for your support so far. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Search WARF Radio or go to WARFradio.com or just simply Google Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast or Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks so much for your company, and it's bye for now.